And good afternoon to everybody. Great to see you here as we make this first step in starting a new church at St. Joseph's. To those of you who I haven't had the chance to meet yet, then let me introduce myself. My name is Ken Matthews, and I'm going to be the minister based here at St. Joseph's. To those who do know me well, they'll be able to let you know the kind of person I am, and they'll tell you that the best thing about me is my wife, Fiona, and my, the three small people who live in our house with us, our children, uh, Lucy, aged eight, Jamie, aged seven, and little Kate, aged four, and of course, my incredible dress sense down through the ages, uh, well, the years, I'm not that old, um, which is why I'm utterly unembarrassed to be standing before you this afternoon uh, wearing a dog collar and a Britney mic. Well, you're pleased to be here that I'm not going to spend this afternoon showing you more photos from the Matthews family album. We're not going to trail through that. Instead, what I'm going to hopefully do for you is open up and unpack that Bible reading we had earlier on from Mark chapter 2. So if you could dig into the pocket in the chair in front of you again and pick up a Bible and look back up to Mark chapter 2, then that would be really helpful, I'm sure, for you to follow on uh, what I'm going to be talking about. Because let's face it, uh, the Bible isn't always the easiest book in the world to understand. So that's why it would also be good for us to pray that God would help us uh, to understand it right now. So let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you uh, that you don't leave us in the dark, but you love to speak to us from your word, the Bible. Help us this afternoon to understand what you have to say to us and to apply it to our lives that we may leave this place challenged and changed to be more like you. Amen. Well, I wonder if you'd be good enough for a moment um, to give some thought to this. What is your biggest problem? What would it be? Perhaps it's something that's been on your mind since the moment that you've uh, step through the door this afternoon. You just cannot stop thinking about it. If it's not like that, then I'm glad and I'm sorry to remind you of it. But could you please think about it right now? Got it? Now, don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to share what it is, turn to your neighbor, anything embarrassing like that. But if people I know are any reflection of, the, of a public gathering like this, then I'm sure that amongst us there'll be a whole range of different issues. Like perhaps for some of us it might be a relational thing with our spouse or our partner, parents or parents-in-law, with our children as we worry about the decisions that they're making. Maybe it's money, or more to the point, lack of it. Or work, the trouble of being in it, and the trouble of being out of it. Or perhaps it's a health problem, which has just come out of nowhere to torpedo your life, or the life of someone close to you. There's nothing quite like a health problem, is there, to just knock us seriously off kilter. And in the midst of all this, maybe our problem is the sheer variety of choices available to us that leave us with the paralysis of analysis. Where do I go? Who do I trust? What do I do? I don't know. Maybe it's something else for you. Forgive me if I've not touched upon it. And forgive me for calling it to mind. But I'd like you also 
to think about this too, if you would. Give your mind to this. What do you think that God would have to say about that issue? Have you ever thought about that? If God were to come and meet you where you are at right now, what would he say to you? And what, would he, what do you think he would want to do for you? Well, as we come to this bit of the Bible in Mark chapter two, we have a guy here who has a massive problem, doesn't he? In fact, it's so massive, he's actually called by it. Can you see the heading there at the start of the chapter in Mark two? He's a paralytic. We don't know if he was born like that or he had an accident later on in life, but as he meets Jesus, his whole life is turned upside down. And it's my hope that as we look at this this afternoon and see what Jesus says and does in this man's life, we will see the kind of thing that Jesus wants to do in our lives too. And I've got two things this guy discovers in his encounter with Jesus that we need to discover too. Here's the first one. Jesus sees your deepest need. Take a look at the start of chapter two with me, will you? As it says, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. So one thing this guy's got going for him is he's got friends, hasn't he? The Spanish have a saying, um, my Spanish is terrible, so I'm not even gonna try and attempt it for you, but they have a saying that basically means friends are more valuable than gold. And in my experience of life, I think that's right, isn't it? Especially so for this paralytic, as his mates bring their friend to Jesus hoping for a healing. Who knows how far they'd had to lug him along. But when they get there, they find it's, it's like Northumberland Street the weekend before Christmas. It is packed out. So much so, they can't get their friend to Jesus. But you've got to love the creativity of these guys. All of a sudden, one of them goes, hey, I know. Let's get him up on the roof. Let's strap him in and we'll get him up on the fence and then we'll stand on the camel and then we'll push him up onto the roof. And you've got to imagine the paralytic at this point. He's like going, oh, whoa, whoa, no, guys. Whoa, wait, oh, hold on a minute. Wait, are you sure you know what you're doing? But before you know it, they're up on the roof. They're digging it up. And imagine that's happening here. All of a sudden, some kind of bits of debris and sort of coming down, falling on my head. I mean, I've been in some distracting places where I've had to preach, but it would really put me off at the moment if they did that. But the debris coming down. All of a sudden, a couple of faces grinning pop their head through the hole and then before we know it down 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 they're lowering their mate down 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 easy does it down 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 until he's there in front of Jesus at his feet and what does he say well I know what I would say after all the money and the effort that's been put into renovating this place I'd be going what do you think you're doing you ah, you better fix that but not with Jesus What does he say? Verse five, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. 
Now let's pause, press the pause button there for a second. If you're the paralytic, what are you thinking? <laughs> My sins? <laughs> Wait a minute, I want you to do more than that for me. I didn't get up on the fence and up on the camel and get shoved on the roof and get lowered down here face first just to have my sins forgiven. Take a look, Jesus. It's my pins, not my sins. I want to walk again. I want to play sports and chase girls and ride up my Harley Davidson and do all the things that other people can do. I mean, the paralytic's need seems obvious, doesn't it? But Jesus looked right past his legs and saw a greater need. As he says, your biggest problem is not your paralysis. And I wanna ask you, what do you make of that? That Jesus can heal, is, is, with a word, it's obvious. If we read back over Mark chapter one, we would see that, and we know what happens next. He can heal just like that, but he doesn't. He delays. Why? Again, I want to ask you, what do you make of that? Well, I'm concluding that in Jesus' mind, there is no greater problem than sin. You see, this guy could have got the juice going in his legs again, yet still be paralyzed. Because all of us are crippled by sin in our lives. All of us are hindered from living the life that God made us for by not having him in our lives. You see, that's what sin is. A lot of people think of sin as a, as a really kind of awkward but old-fashioned religious word to beat people up with and make them feel bad about themselves. Others see it as, see as something like cream cakes. It's, it's naughty but nice. But rightly understood, there's nothing nice about it. As sin is saying to God, I know it's your world. I can't explain how everything came about without you. And I know that you give me every breath and all of life's great gifts. But actually, I will put myself first and I will keep you out of the picture. Now, to us, that may seem like a very small thing. But the trouble is that sin causes us to die spiritually. Because every time I insist on my independence in a world where God sustains everything, I am cutting myself off from the source of all goodness. And so we find ourselves cut off from his wisdom to guide us through the minefields of life, his love and his compassion to comfort us in, his, in our hurts. We cut ourselves off from his transforming power to make us the people that he made us to be in the first place. And though we can survive like that for quite a while, in the end, we also cut ourselves off from God forever. And so Jesus says, to the paralytic, this must be dealt with. Your sin must be dealt with. And he says to him, son, your sins are forgiven. And the word forgiven, in the original language it was written, which was Greek, and my Greek is as bad as my Spanish, so I'm not gonna bother saying that either. But in the original language, it means to send away, to release, to remove a burden which makes possible a friendship. So can you see, Jesus is saying here to this guy, your biggest problem is that you need your sins sent away. You need to be released from them so that you can have a friendship with God again. And if this man was blessed to have four friends who were more valuable than gold to him, 
surely having the God of the whole world on your side is the most precious thing that there is. So Jesus says to him, actually, you're not going deep enough. By simply coming to me, asking for your body to be healed, you are not going deep enough. You may not realize it, but you need something more than new legs. You need to know the creator of your legs. You see, this man is saying, and as perhaps you're saying to yourself as you were thinking about that problem earlier on that's on your mind, if only I could get this sorted out, I will be fine. This man was saying, if only I could walk again, then my life would be all right. If only I could get that problem sorted, I won't be unhappy again. I won't be unsatisfied. I won't complain. Everything will be fine. But Jesus says, my son, my daughter, you are mistaken. For you underestimate the depths of the longings of your heart. The heart I made, the heart I know. Because the roots of discontentment in the human heart, we all know this, the roots of discontentment, they go really deep. They go so deep, don't they? So yes, there would be utter euphoria as the problem is solved. New legs, can you imagine the friends up on the roof dancing around when they saw what happens? I could imagine that they danced around so much that one of them fell back down and broke his legs. But new legs, the euphoria, the joy of it. It would be incredible. But can I tell you, that euphoria is followed by emptiness if you do not deal with the sin problem. Euphoria turns to emptiness. That's so often the way of it. Whatever your goal, whatever your achievement, have you found that in life? You reach the heights one day. Yes, it's great. But the next day, it feels a bit flat. It feels empty. So you have to chase after the next thing in order to fill the void. Now, as I say that, there are some of you here who have known that emptiness, but you've never really thought about the fact that this could be because your sin still hasn't been forgiven. And I want to make that connection with you this afternoon because it's connecting you to your creator. It's connecting to you to the one who not only sees your deepest need, but who can meet your deepest need, which is the second thing I want us to discover here. Jesus can meet your deepest need. For as Jesus says to the paralytic man, your sins are forgiven. All around the room, people are thinking, verse seven, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And they've got a point, haven't they? The only person who ultimately has the right to forgive sins is God. Because all wrongdoing is ultimately done against God. God made us. So when we wrong one another, then at the same time, we're wronging God too. We're hurting his creation. It's a bit like the mistake I made when I was playing um, with a kid on holiday a number of years ago. We were doing the old um, a flying circus routine. And I was swinging him round and round and round. It was a hot day um, and my hands were a little bit sweaty. and. He slipped and I let go of him. And he skidded across this freshly watered lawn. Boom, 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 bang, right against the side of the house. Floods of tears. And at exactly the moment of impact, his dad walked out of the house. What do I say? I am so, so sorry. Sorry. 
But who do I say it to? I say it to the dad. Because by wronging his kid, I've at the same time wronged him. I did also say sorry to the kid. I'm not completely heartless. But it's like that with us and God. Whenever we wrong another person, at the same time we do wrong against God. Only God ultimately has the right to forgive sins. So, by claiming to forgive the sins of the paralytic man, can you see what Jesus is doing? He's putting himself in God's place. And these religious guys are as angry as a box of rattlesnakes as they hear that. Blasphemy, they cry. He is claiming to be God. Now, obviously, obviously anyone can claim something, can't they? A few years ago, a guy called David Icke claimed that he was the son of God himself. He started out in life as a Coventry City goalkeeper, and then he became a BBC sports presenter. And then, aged 37, he suddenly realized he was the son of God and told the news of the world. Now, why is it that I'm a Christian and not a David Ikean? Why do I believe Jesus? and not David Icke? Well, my answer is, David Icke never did anything to back up his claim. Jesus, on the other hand, not only claimed what only God can claim, but he did what only God can do. As here's what happens next in verse eight. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of all of them. It's easy to say something, isn't it? But it's so much harder to prove it. So when the paralyzed man jumps up and picks up his mat and starts striding away through the onlookers, well, there we have it. It's the proof. It's undeniable. Jesus has done it. He's God and he has the power not only to heal, but to forgive. And it was for that very reason that Jesus came to earth. And it was for that very reason that he hung on a cross at the end of his life. It wasn't an accident, a promising career in the magic business, tragically cut short by a series of unfortunate events. No, it was him dealing with our sins so that we might be forgiven, meeting our deepest need. So what's our reaction to that? Let me give you three quick ones as we finish up. Number one, experience the miracle of forgiveness. Simply put, let Jesus deal with your greatest need. It's my hope that this will be a church where we can gather together, we can share problems with one another, carry burdens with one another, but we'll never get our hands around the day-to-day issues of life unless we first come to Jesus and let him deal with our hearts. That's the foundations for life, to be forgiven and to be in a relationship with God. In fact, I'd say that's the key to happiness. The key to happiness is saying, Lord, I'm sorry. I've been away from you because of your son's death. Please forgive me. 
And as you say that, there is this extraordinary spiritual experience of being enveloped by the love of God. So experience the miracle of forgiveness and come back to God. And then secondly, don't let anything keep you down. Can you imagine the paralytic lying on his mat when Jesus heals him and just deciding to stay on his mat, just tugging on the rope and going, guys, guys, you can pull me back up now. We're done here. Do you think he was going back up through the roof? No, of course he wasn't. You can imagine him just running home, racing his mates home, seeing what his new pins could do. It would be incredible. But maybe you've experienced the miracle of God's forgiveness. But in a sense, you're still lying on your mat. You haven't got up yet. You said yes to God's love. But your life hasn't changed a bit. Maybe it's a habit, an addiction, a person, a grudge that you're just keeping hold of, that's just keeping you down. Hear Jesus as he says to you, your sins are forgiven. Now, pick up your mat and walk. It's time to get going, to get up and start going God's way. Here's the third and final thing. How about tearing up the roof for others? Here's my final thought. Maybe the paralytic didn't want to go to the house. I mean, it's speculation, but maybe he didn't want to go. Maybe he went kicking and screaming all the way, going, guys, guys, no, put me down. I'm not interested. I don't want to go to Jesus. But do you think afterwards, when he was healed, he was complaining to them for bringing him? No way. He was saying, guys, thank you so much for exercising your faith. And I'm guessing that if there was another fellow who lived in the town who was a paralytic, he went straight away to go get him and bring him to Jesus. Because when you've experienced God's love, you want to introduce others to it too. You see, this incredible miracle happened. Well, because Jesus showed his power and authority, didn't it? But it all started because four guys stepped out in faith to bring their mate. So the question here to close with is, have you got the faith to bring others to Jesus? Think right now about someone you know who needs God's love. How could you bring them to Jesus? Let me pray that through for us right now. Let's pray. Father God, you know us better than we know ourselves. You know we how we have not loved you with all our hearts, all of our minds, and all of our strength as you made us to do. And yet, incredibly, you are willing to forgive us, embrace us in your loving arms, and be the foundations we need to deal with all of the brokenness that is part of life here on planet Earth. We pray that you would move us to accept your offer of forgiveness and transform us to be more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.